Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall look uh, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, into your hands this morning, we commit our spirit. Into your hands we cast our lives, and from the very pit we cry out this morning, the Lord is our salvation. Salvation belongs to our God. And so we pray this morning that you would waken up our sleepy hearts, that you would breathe into us again this morning the breath of life that would cause us to come to flame, to live for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, as you have had the experience, perhaps over the years, um, to read through scripture, to kind of turn the page, and, and I hear so many say, well, I first started in Genesis, and I think, uh-oh, the moment you, you start there, it doesn't take long before you read, and you go, holy smokes, what am I reading? And it's because so often we see uh, judgment coming against those who are living in rebellion against God. Even those who, on a small scale, live in rebellion. Um, sometimes it's on the spot. Other times it's over time, it all gets worked out. But nonetheless, when we rebel against the Lord, it comes with punishment. For example, consider Moses. Moses, the like leading figure of the entire Old Testament. He strikes the rock when he was not instructed to strike it. And for that, he is not able to enter into the promised land over the Jordan River. He must die out in the wilderness. Or what about David, King David? His whole dynasty crumbled because of his affair. And his own children come up and are against him. And there's Adam and Eve, of course, who, well, they're cast out of God's presence. And they must work among the thorns. And they raise children. But it's not easy. It's going to be with great difficulty. Occasionally, we'll come across in the Bible these heightened points where uh, we, we see a great punishment on those in rebellion. So what about the men who were told not to touch the ox cart that carried the Ark of the Covenant? Um, they weren't to touch it at all. And Uzzah, uh, it was on a rough, rocky road, and the cart begins to 
go sideways and he puts his hand out and touches it and instantly is struck dead. Or how about the book of Esther where Haman, he builds these fancy gallows that he's going to intend to hang some of God's people, the Jews, on. And at the end of the book, who is it who's hanging from the gallows but Haman? And then, of course, famously, there's Lot's wife told, do not look back towards Sodom and Gomorrah. You don't look back. He looks, she looks back and she's a pillar of salt. Or Korah. And the 250 men who came against Moses and Aaron. And because of this, the Lord sent fire down from heaven and it consumed them all. And if we think that this is only Old Testament, let me just give one little brief example from the New Testament in the book of Acts with Ananias and Sapphira. Recall? Ananias and Sapphira began to lie about how much they had given to the church in their tithes. And uh, as a result of this, they are instantly struck down. They are struck dead. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, this is the sort of tale that you tell your kids at bedtime. Don't lie to mom and dad. Good night. Sleep tight. But seriously... With these accented accounts, they're reminding us, you and I should never, ever spurn the Lord. You and I should always do exactly as the Lord has called us or commanded us to do. You and I should never do the things that the Lord has told us. Don't go down that road. Don't do that. It will end in destruction. And so when we consider how this is worked out, we ponder. And I ask you, ponder and just think with me for a moment. We're in the book of Jonah, as we've seen with chapter 1. How should, the question is, how should this entire book end? If everything I've just told you about the Lord being bringing about destruction, how should this book end? It should end in chapter 1, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it end there? Because judgment comes from the Lord. It should have gone just like this. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And Jonah says, nah, I don't want to. I don't think so. In fact, Lord, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not only going to run from Nineveh. I'm going to run from my own homeland, my people. And ultimately, Lord, I'm running from you. I'm going to flee to Tarshish. And we're not surprised then when disaster strikes Jonah. We're not surprised when the Lord brings this great storm on the sh- upon the people on the ship. And to rebel Against God is to ask for his anger to be kindled against you to invite judgment. And so when it's finally revealed to the pagan sailors that Jonah is the root of all this storm, at his own instruction, they reluctantly cast him overboard. Now, can you picture it? Picture the scene with me for a minute. They pick up Jonah and they're thinking, we don't want to do this, but we are pretty sure that he's the problem because the lot fell on him. He told us and they throw him over and he hits the sea and they're looking at him going down. And at that moment, the ship that was creaking and cracking about to snap in half, all of a sudden, the wind slowly comes to a stop. The rains cease. You could picture even maybe the clouds starting to part and the sun coming and beaming upon the sailors and they're just thinking... Well, this is perfect. And Jonah goes sinking down in judgment. And they all, well, except for Jonah, lived happily ever after. That's where this book should have ended. That's where this book comes to a, an end. Just like Lot's wife. Just like Korah's rebellion. Just like with Ananias and Sapphira. 
The rebellious prophet Jonah is struck down. He drowns in the sea and lesson learned. Now from reading the Bible, that's what we might expect. But God will reveal something else to us about his character here this morning. While he is a God of justice, and he is, he is also a God of mercy. Ask yourself, was the large fish, the whale of, that came to swallow up Jonah, was this more judgment brought to Jonah? There must have been an ever-creasing sense of, of, from Jonah as he's going down, going down, going down. And then the next thing you know, he thinks, wait, somehow I'm still alive. Somehow I'm being maintained. I'm sustained inside some sort of sea creature that gobbled me up. And from this dark, strange place, God provided not judgment, but salvation for Jonah. The judgment, think about it in these terms, the judgment was the storm. That being thrown overboard, the cold water, the sinking down, the drowning, the fish, the fish was mercy. The fish saved Jonah, sustaining him, keeping him alive. And it is from this place of mercy that Jonah begins to pray this prayer, reflecting both on the judgment of God that came upon him, but then also subsequently reflecting on God's mercy that has also come upon him. And through Jonah's prayer, which is written with this poetic form, he says, the flood surrounded me. Jonah goes through hell, essentially. You know what the essence of hell is, don't you? It's being separated from the God who created you, the God who loves you, to be separated from him. And so Jonah uses that language out of the belly of Sheol, which is the Old Testament's way of saying the grade, that dark abode where the dead dwell in the Old Testament. In fact, the King James puts it this way. When you read the King James Version, it says, out of the belly of hell, I cried and you heard my voice. Jonah uses other language too, which points out how grim the picture was. He was cast into the deep, he says, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded him. He exclaims, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me, the weeds. And I was thinking, this must be perhaps like sea kelp that is caught up around him. Around his head, at the roots of the mountain. And friends, this is not by accident. This isn't fate. This isn't random chance that brought all this about. In case you missed it, Jonah makes it clear. Who cast Jonah into the ocean of judgment, into the belly of Sheol? You say, well, the sailors did. They're the ones who threw him over the ship, right? Verse 3 makes it clear. Look in your Bibles, chapter 2, verse 3. For you, meaning the Lord, you cast me into the deep. He does not say the sailors cast me into the deep. He makes it clear, even though the sailors are the ones who may have done the physical action, it was always God behind it all. Many people struggle with this. Some of you here struggle with this, but you will know that you are growing in your understanding of how God has made our world when you get a view of God like Jonah has here. Jonah was... Uh, You ask yourself, was Jonah ultimately in control of what was going to happen to him? No. Was the weather really ultimately in control of what was going to happen to Jonah? No. Were the sailors? No. 
Random fate and chance? No way. No, not in Jonah's world. Christians grow to see that God is behind this. God is at work. Christians grow to see that the the family, everything from the family that we were placed in, with its many flaws, to the places that we ended up in life, they were not just random chance. No, God is using all these things, even sometimes the horrible tragedies that you and I have been through. He's using those, just as Romans 8, 28 makes very clear. And we know that God causes, listen, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are being called according to his purpose. You see, the boat, the storm, the sailors, they had little to do with why Jonah was sinking down. In verse 3, it says, you cast me into the deep. And we see this judgment on Jonah. It's not just merely a physical trial. This is made clear as there's a great concern of Jonah. It's revealed when he says, I am driven away from your sight. I'm driven away from the presence of the Lord. And so not just judgment physically, this is important for us to catch really what's going on on the outer externities actually is connected to the soul. It's, it's spiritual judgment that has come upon Jonah as well. And as he probably, you know, he's trying to stay afloat. He's treading water and the sea is cold. And he is mentioning about these waves that are kind of billowing over his head because as the ocean and the storm is going like this, you could picture that he is, um, you know, at times succumbing to the water and eventually he's lost his energy. He's taken in too much and he gives up and he's sinking down drowning. And it is at that moment as though he was starting to taste what it is really like to be separate from God himself. This sense of guilty judgment is what all Christians, all believers must get a sense of. Not just Jonah, but you and I in our sin and our rebellion deserve to be thrown overboard. To drift slowly down out of sight from the Lord. Away from his presence into the belly of Sheol. Into the belly of hell. Because we have all in our own way told the Lord, you know what Lord? I think I'm going to do it my way. I think when you call me to go, I'm going to stay. I'm going to in fact run the opposite direction. And you will know that you have really grown in your understanding when you can recognize often the trials of our life that they were used by God to bring us to the bottom of the ocean. Why? So that we would cry out to him. So that we get to that place where we finally say, God, I have nothing left. I need you. I need you. And having seen that this judgment is from the Lord himself, we now see that it's also for Jonah Because we will see him here now turning to hope in the Lord. In some ways, at the foundation of this book, we are introduced to the idea that uh, on one hand, you can be a follower of the Lord. And on the other hand, you could find ways as a Christian running from the Lord, running from God. It is possible to love your comfort more than the new call that God may be putting on your life now. And rather than see where he is at work in the midst of us and join him in it, we can spurn him. And thus we are in rebellion. So that as we highlighted, judgment is required. But this is only part of the story. You see, God might drown Jonah. But even as God is drowning Jonah, 
Why is he drowning Jonah? To save Jonah. God might be the one who's bringing judgment upon Jonah, but why is he bringing judgment upon his own servant except to bring mercy and grace to his servant? Friends, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 Is it true that, when you're, that you're going to have to clean up your life before God will come and save you? do you know what that's like when we come to sort of believe that? Like I come into this church and I'm going to do church for a while here because I know after doing church for a while, coming here for a few months or maybe a few years and participating a little bit here and reading my Bible a little bit more, I might come to a place where God will finally accept me. Friends, it's not how it works. Jonah makes that clear. One theologian, he put it this way. He said, that would be very much like God saying, as Jonah's drowning in the ocean, saying, listen, Jonah, if you can swim to shore, swim 100 miles back to shore, then I will send a lifeboat to save you. It's not going to happen. It won't work. See, what we are seeing through God doing the drowning of Jonah and taking him to the bottom to save him, God is intervening. He is providing what Jonah did not deserve what Jonah could not provide for himself, and what Jonah so desperately needed. And for this reason, Jonah, he highlights how his own heart, he had cried out to God. So that we understand, it's not so much what's really going on inside the whale. It's really, this book is about what's going on inside Jonah's heart. That at the root of it is the most important thing for us to catch And Jonah is making very clear right in the middle of this book, salvation is from the Lord and it is for the guilty repentant who hope in him. Let me say that one more time. Salvation is from the Lord and it is for the guilty repentant who hope in him. What do I mean? Well, we've already covered the fact of his guilt But we also hear in his prayer in the ways in which he has this repentant hope. Verse 2, listen. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Verse 4. I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. Verse 6. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. 7. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. So that here we get a taste of a few things. One, on the one hand, the moment that we say that it's all over. I have nothing left. I've exhausted all my resources. That's the moment when God will get to work in your life. Have you ever been at the bottom of the barrel? Have you ever been in that place where you're thinking, I just do not really have anything left in myself to give, to sacrifice, to make this work. I've got nothing left. A good prayer to pray in that moment is, Lord, intervene. Just two words, Lord, intervene. As Martin Luther prayed, you could pray his prayer, which is, I am yours, save me. I am yours, save me. On the other hand, believers who are being saved for judgment are those whose hope is ultimately going to be placed not in their their efforts, but in the Lord. Now, if you were to read through 
Psalm 43, Psalm 43, you should go later put, you know, mark this down to later go read through Psalm 43, Psalm 42, which are in connection together. But you will see there's many parallels, I think, between that, those Psalms and Jonah's prayer here. Um, if you can, especially with Psalm 43, as you go back and forth, you will see several interesting parallels. First, they both mention un- ungodly people. They mention a sense of rejection from the Lord and a desire to be with God at his temple or his, his altar. And then in, in verse 5 of Psalm 43, we read, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And listen to the words, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And you see those two themes that are such a great connection with Jonah. Hoping, hoping in the Lord and salvation coming from God to us. And so here too, Jonah as well, he makes it clear that replacing God will not work. He must hope in God for he shall again praise him. Worshiping an idol will not in the end turn out for your good. It will ultimately destroy you. Uh, worshiping money, having your heart set on power, on fame, on worshiping your security, your future, worshiping a cush life as Jonah did, refusing to leave your life of comfort, it, it will bring you to great ruin, to a place that the waves are going in over your head. No, friends, idolatry will not do it. It won't save you. You know, the moment you grab a world's idol, it crumbles. It leaves you hollow. It disappoints you. The moment you click buy and it shows up, like the next day, you don't even care about it, right? No, it won't save you. So what will? What will bring you the true hope that you need? What will in the end, or shall I phrase, who will? And this is where we come to see salvation comes from the Lord. It is possible to make clear by putting what you want to be the most understood, to be the most stated thing, to to put it at the front of your book. So if I was writing a book, especially if it was a nonfiction book, at the very front of the book, maybe in the introduction, maybe in chapter one, I'd say, the most important thing that I want to tell you is this. And then I would tell it to you and then the rest of the book would unpack it. Oftentimes, it's really great in fiction. Um, as you're reading a, a novel, say, you might put the most important thing at the end. The moral tale that you learn from this entire lesson comes at the very end. So you're reading through, how's this going to work? How's this going to work? And then finally, you get the big reveal, the big idea at the end of the tale. Now, Jonah does something unique for us. Like a pyramid, the apex of this book, the most central thing that Jonah, I think, wants us to see is found dead in the center. Now, both of the, both of the tales of this swoop off and leave us disappointed in Jonah's actions. But at the very heart of this book in the center, we have what most would argue is, by all accounts, the most important verse of the book, which is in chapter 2 at verse 9. Read this with me. Uh, but I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Here it is. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Here it is in the middle of this book, and I think what it's doing sitting in the middle, perched right here, it's resonating back to the sailors on the boat. Salvation ultimately comes and belongs 
to the Lord. Um, And then it's echoing forward to the Ninevites, which we'll get to. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's his. And salvation then is coming all the way to the Jews in Jonah's own homeland. And salvation is coming right here in the very heart of this book to one who was drowning to Jonah himself. For Jonah, this saving act of God to bring mercy through the fish, it was incredible. Yet it was temporary. There is a greater salvation in which this entire book of Jonah is a pointer towards. Jonah and Jesus share so much in common. It's amazing. Uh, Which is why I previously said that Jesus surprisingly mentions this minor prophet a significant number of times. First, Jesus and Jonah... They both preach a message of repentance in which not just Jews, but Gentiles are saved. And we'll come back to that in the weeks to come. Second, Jesus and Jonah sacrifice themselves to save the lives of others, as we saw with Jonah sacrificing himself to save the sailors on the boat. But finally, and most pointedly, Jonah is carried along in the belly of the whale for three days before being delivered and resurrected onto the land. And so too, Jesus says, here's the sign to know that I am the Lord that brings salvation. I am carried through the belly of the earth, through the grave for three days and three nights to resurrect from the dead. This will be a magnificent sign for you. Jesus told this whole thing to scribes and Pharisees, And you know what's interesting is I was reading and reflecting on where Jesus says the sign of Jonah, you you want a sign, it'll be the sign of Jonah. And as he was saying this, he's saying this to the scribes and the Pharisees who shared the exact same disease Jonah had. What was that? Well, it was comfortable, self-righteous pride. Is that not what Jonah suffers from? These Pharisees and these scribes who thought that they were worthy of salvation, but not others. And so Jesus intentionally brings up Jonah, saying to them in Matthew 12, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of earth. Jesus, we have our own signs. We can show you that we are worthy. Why don't you do something for us and show us that you are all that you say you are, and then maybe we'll believe. But that's not how it works. You can't trifle with Jesus. Even after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, many, many of these exact same people, they still don't believe, do they? They told him directly and plainly. Jesus told them directly and plainly what he was going to do, and then he did it. And they had finally every reason to repent and to believe, but in their hard-heartedness, their stick-necked position, they prevented them from actually repenting and believing. See, for all the Pharisees' excellent good works, they still suffered from a hardened heart. Jonah's lesson had not sunk into the core of who they were way down deep. Their confidence, their hope, It was in an idol of their own actions and doings. And this is why when one would be praying, you might pass them by on a corner street there in Israel. 
And you just kind of see outwardly, externally, they seem to be doing the right things, but you pass them by and their arms are stretched out and they're praying and they're praying and everybody's admiring how they're praying so much. You go into the store, you get your fish and your bread and you come back out 20 minutes later and you see they're still out there praying and praying and they're being honored and and revered. But Jesus wasn't impressed and neither should you be. When our hope is really in our religiosity, then we can get excited about these things. But when it is in the Lord, we won't have a higher view of any of these things than we should. When someone lets me know that they've been reading their Bible every morning and every evening and on most lunch breaks, they're reading their Bible. I'm not impressed. When someone rattles off 120 different ministries that they've been in, in this church, and I was involved with that ministry and that ministry over here, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. I'm not impressed. Uh, when someone tells me that they give a lot of money in tithes and offerings, or they say, hey, I, I'm, I support this missionary a great sum, or I, I support this ministry with all my funds, I'm not impressed. But when you tell me salvation is from the Lord, then I am impressed, very impressed. When you tell me my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Then I am tremendously impressed. And I'm not impressed with you. I'm impressed with my God, who would save a sinner like you, to bring you to a place that a sinner like you and a sinner like me would be able to declare, Jesus Christ is my salvation. Salvation is from the Lord. And so some this morning, you hear, maybe you're on the boat, and you're hearing the ship start to crack and creak. Some of us here this morning, maybe we've been treading water and we're starting to sink down. And maybe even some come in here this morning with smiles in their hearts, and yet our sin, our rebellion against God has brought you to the place where you are on the bottom. So I remind you, Verse 3 of chapter 2, For you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. No matter where you are this morning, you must do as Jonah has done. You must see yourself not only as a sinner, but as a rebel, deserving the waters to close in over you and take your life. But don't stop there. You must see yourself not only as one guilty, but as one who is willing to live in repentance. You must be like Jonah who says, what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You must come this morning to see salvation is from the Lord and it is for the guilty repentant who hope in him. That is what you must do. And so finally, Christian, hope in him. Hope in him who was in the belly of, not the fish, but the earth, for three days and three nights. Hope in him who resurrected from the dead, who is the greater Jonah who gave his life for the sailors and who gave his life for you and who gave his life for all who trust in repentance, believing upon him. The one who brings the salvation of the Lord to us, for he is our Lord, the greater Jonah, Jesus Christ who bearing all of our sin and shame on the cross, 
He calls us to see the sign of Jonah in his death, burial, and resurrection as proof that one greater than Jonah has finally come. So that his message of repentance and believing the kingdom of God is at hand would be believed. And so this morning I will ask you, do you see yourself as the guilty repentant? Well, this morning, will you hope in him who saves you alone? Well, this morning, will you even in your seats right now from your heart declare, praying to him right now, salvation is from the Lord. Some here may think that this is all unnecessary because after all, Thomas, I've been a Christian for years and years. I've been a follower of Yahweh of the Lord for a long time. Why would I need to cry out my heart again? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Friends, Jonah was a believer for many, many years too. And here he is calling out, declaring this good truth. I know Jonah was written a long time ago, but I could picture this. Let's conclude at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And so he comes out of this great whale, this fish, and he's probably disgusting and wet. And he's probably taking leaves and sand and he's trying to clean himself off. He's probably trying to warm himself, maybe by a fire. He's hungry. It's been several days. And so he's probably trying to find food to cook for himself. And he's thinking and reflecting on all these things that just happened. And I could picture him singing a hymn, like what we will conclude with here this morning. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Would you pray with me? Father, what a joy it is to have your salvation. Lord, this is not an empty hope. It is a real hope that is embedded in a real relationship with you. And when all is well for us and when all is difficult and the storms of this life come upon us, um, we pray and ask, would you discipline us so that we would be like Jonah who is able to declare, yes, your judgment, but amazingly your mercy for us because you have provided your salvation, which belongs to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.